0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the WA Country Hour with Joe Prendergast on ABC Radio WA.
2: Hello. Good to have your company on a Monday afternoon right around WA. A busy program for you today. If you're a grain farmer... Can you imagine not having to plant your wheat crop? You just go and harvest it. Maybe you might have to spray it mid-season, but that's about it. Perennial wheat might sound a bit far-fetched, but it is being studied in New South Wales and varieties are on the way. Also today, you're going to hear about a brewing company that's trying to turn brewers' mash waste into something valuable, a tasty bread flour.
3: So spent mash is, it's a volatile product. It's warm and wet and full of sugar. So it it tends to go off really quickly. Uh, However, it is also full of some really important nutrients.
2: Brewers' mash bread might be on your table soon. That story after uh, news and weather, which is at the normal time around half past 12. But the largest overhaul of firearms legislation in the state's history will see WA have the toughest rules for gun owners nationally. In a nutshell, the WA government says it will limit recreational shooters to owning five firearms and farmers will be restricted to owning 10. Police Minister Paul Papalia announced the proposed firearm law reform this morning.
4: Bottom line is that since 2009, when our system uh, for licensing firearms was changed, Western Australian firearm numbers have increased by something like 60%. There are now more than 360,000 firearms in Western Australia and the vast majority of them are housed in the metropolitan area. Under the proposed new legislation, recreational shooters will be permitted to own up to five firearms. Primary producers and competitive shooters will have a maximum of 10. Some competitive shooters who aspire to uh, representing the state or nation at higher levels will be able to apply for greater numbers. New firearm limits will only impact around 5% of our current licence holders. The changes will see more than 10,000 firearms removed from the community. These particular changes that we're talking about with limits. In the last five years, 1,769 firearms have been stolen in Western Australia. That's equivalent of one a day. Fewer firearms in the community means public safety will be enhanced. Tomorrow we'll be highlighting other important elements of the proposal uh, and we will be tabling the consultation paper in Parliament. From that moment uh, anyone in the state will be able to read what is being proposed and make a submission. They'll have a month to do that. The submissions will then be considered and will introduce The bill to Parliament at the start of next year, it will pass through the Parliament in the normal course at the normal pace, and then the law will become the law by the end of next year.
2: Now, storage requirements are also changing, and this will be tiered depending on the type and the number of firearms a licence holder owns. So some firearm owners may be required to use security systems like cameras and alarms, and storage cabinets will have a baseline thickness of four or six millimetres. Eight licence types have been developed for specific gun users, and one of them is a primary producer licence, which the police minister says will give farmers more flexibility.
4: There's a lot of uh, things in this in these proposals. I'd urge uh, current license holders to to have a look and act. Don't read Facebook and get your, your information from there. Go to the document and read it. There are a lot of benefits to license holders from this legislation. One of which, for primary producers, is that they will be able to use their same firearm on multiple properties. They'll be able to use that firearm. Um, a number of license holders will be able to use the same firearm so currently a family in a, a farming um, community uh, would have to get their own firearm to be able to, to uh carry out their you know the job of um, eradicating vermin or uh you know stock uh, um, uh, elimination if, if they need to but what this does is ensure that potentially you can reduce the number of firearms you have because you'll be able to multiple family members will be able to use the same firearm as long as they're licensed
2: police minister paul papalia speaking about the wa government's proposed new firearm laws details of those proposed changes have emerged this morning but some more information coming tomorrow we just heard the minister say Keen to get your thoughts on these reforms. You can send me a text. The number to do that on is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. Put your name on that text. Are these rules a good idea? Do they go too far? Maybe they don't go far enough. What do you think? Send us a text four eight. The government also wants to introduce a health check for firearm owners with a mental health component and this will be done online so anywhere in the state, anyone anywhere in the state can do it. There are 90,000 licensed firearm holders in WA and they're represented by people like Paul Fitzgerald from the WA Firearms Community Alliance.
5: I think what we're seeing here is a police minister who's hell bent on trying to undermine the National Firearms Agreement, which is a long-held premise across the country, that all the states and territories agree to the um, framework of the NFA, of which there has no ever been any acceptance of limits being placed on licensed firearm owners in Australia. So why is nine dangerous? Why is 11? uh, Sorry, why is nine not dangerous? Why is 11 dangerous? You know why do we continue to see the minister trying to silo the broad um, sectors of the firearm community in Western Australia with arbitrary limits that have no evidence to suggest that they have any meaning?
6: Why does the recreational shooter need more than five guns?
5: Uh, what the community need to appreciate is that when it comes to firearms, it's not just one type of firearm. We have shotguns, we have rifles, we have handguns, we have a broad. Um, range of equipment in the recreational shooting community and the sporting community that involves any number of firearms based on the number of sports that you want to participate in. So that's the reason why limits always pose a huge danger to limit people's law-abiding activity in Western Australia. And what we're seeing here is the police minister telling 100,000 people in Western Australia that we don't trust you.
6: How many recreational shooters would have more than five guns?
5: I don't know. We don't get privy to that information. It's tightly held by WA police and the government so that they can use the statistics to bash us up whenever they feel like it's an easy target.
6: Isn't part of the problem here that guns get stolen and the less guns there are in the community, the less chance, as the police argues, um, then there are fewer opportunities for them to be used illegally. Isn't that the issue here?
5: No, I don't think it is at all because what we're talking about is the hundreds of thousands of illegal firearms that remain in the community that is a policing and a government issue to find those people that have those illegal firearms. We are not talking about stolen guns constantly being used in criminal activity. But some of those guns are stolen. Some of them are, Nadia, but we're not talking about the fact that there's X amount of firearms in Western Australia. There's 90,000 law abiding citizens and that because they have access to this sporting and recreational equipment, that it feeds any criminal networks. Those criminal networks are fed by legal firearms in the Australian community that have been legal for 30 or 40 years.
2: Paul Fitzgerald from the WA Firearms Community Alliance. He wants the police minister to explain why farmers might need 10 firearms and why there is no limit for firearms collectors. Pastoralists and Graziers Association President Tony Seabrook thinks the new rules strike a reasonable compromise.
7: On a pastoral property where you've got a lot of staff all over the property, uh, if a dog presents itself or an animal needs to be destroyed, uh, individual staff members need to be able to carry that firearm with them. Right. And there are there are firearms of different calibers. Um, a twenty-two is is quite effective in the garden against a parrot or whatever. But you need a high-powered rifle if you're going to take down a, a beast that might be in serious trouble, tangled in fence or or whatever, uh, or all or feral animals as well. So. Look, the farming community lobbied specifically uh, for the outcome that we've got. And and look, Paul puts up a fairly good argument. I understand what he's saying. But but look, 10 firearms is a lot of firearms. and, Mm. And we don't have them as a collection. We have them as a working tool.
6: Do you have any detail there in regards to what kind of guns farmers can own?
7: Well, Category D uh, is not available to anyone except uh, very specific people, and this is usually used for aerial destruction of of pigs uh, and horses. Uh, They're a very restricted weapon. They're the semi-automatic military-style rifle that you talk about. The very high-powered rifles that were in circulation. The Minister said they've got to be brought back in again. They're not going to be allowed. Uh, They're deemed to be too dangerous. But there are still some very powerful firearms available to people that need them for the well, for the purpose I described before, the destruction of an animal. And and there's no point in messing about If you don't have the right calibre and you just injure the animal, that's not the outcome that mm. anybody wants. A clean kill is what everybody's after, and uh, the, the higher-powered rifles are, are very much a part of that.
2: Pastoralists and Graziers Association President Tony Seabrook speaking to Nadia Mitsopoulos and under this state government's review of the firearms legislation there will be a digital licensing system put in place and that police minister was saying earlier that all of this will come into effect at some point next year is his expectation but impacted firearm license holders would be required to dispose of their excess guns before those laws come into effect You can give your feedback on the proposed laws on the WA Police website. My suspicion is that would begin tomorrow, not today. You might just want to double check that if it's not available today. But you can give your thoughts there, but I would like to hear them as well. Send me a text. The number is 0448 What do you think of this review that we've heard from the government on the firearms legislation? Uh, Shane has sent a text saying, the Minister is wrong. Under Section 8, primary producers can now allow family members, contractors, and employees to use their firearms. I think that's reacting there, Shane, to the police minister saying that the primary producer licence would give farmers more flexibility. Thank you for your text. And Peter has sent a text as well saying the police minister has created a fake dragon to slay to save his political and ministerial life. The advisory board was hand-picked And out of its depth, he's made a mockery of the NFA. Absurdity running rampant in the minister's office. Peter having his say on the text line, you can do so as well. The number 0448922604. 17 past 12, you are listening to the Country Hour. Joe Prendergast with you this afternoon. And just taking a look at the state government's proposed overhaul of uh, the firearms legislation it would make our firearm rules some of the toughest in the country. Jack Carmody manages Prenty Down Station, which is east of Waluna in the Northern Goldfields, where he runs cattle, and he's also a member of the Shooters Farmers, uh, sorry, the Shooters Fishers and Farmers Party. Jack, what's your reaction to some of the detail coming out of the WA government's firearms act review?
1: Look, it's not surprising given the recent changes that they have proposed. We knew this was coming, but what is disappointing is the fact that it's quite clear that they um, did not engage properly in consultation processes. What appears to have happened here is that the West Australian Police Force and the Minister's Office actually went into these meetings just with a list of this will happen and didn't compromise on anything
2: you're in a station about 300 kilometres east of Waluna. For you, where you are running cattle in a remote area, how do some of these new rules, how would they affect what you do and what happens on your property?
1: The restriction of 10 firearms for a farmer, there needs to be a bit of clarity whether that's 10 per property or 10 per operator. That would be nice to actually see that up front. However, 10 firearms in our operation for my use would actually be reasonable. However, I don't understand why it would be limited to 10. So for our professional shooting, when we're doing aerial operations for the control of large feral herbivores, such as the feral camels, we have to carry three firearms of the same type to ensure that we can continue the operation should we have a malfunction in one, if not two of the firearms. So when you start looking at that in a professional level, the number of firearms that you can and number of task-specific firearms reduces.
2: So you're saying if you're going out and you know you've got to control some camels, you're on the ground, you have to have at least two of the same calibre of firearm? That's correct. So I mean, I imagine 10 would cover the different types of pests that you'd be looking at uh, controlling. You've got your large feral herbivores like camels and donkeys, you've got smaller pests like kangaroos, that sort of thing, and then you've got your even smaller ones, rabbits. But what about for uh, recreational shooters that might come onto your property? Are you concerned about their ability to uh, provide a service to you?
8: Yeah,
1: I am extremely concerned um, because that means that they're not going to be able to have the full set of golf clubs. You know, you can play a round of golf with one iron, but I wouldn't really expect anyone from uh, the government to be accepting of being told they're only allowed to use a number seven for their entire round of golf.
2: How important is that pest control that is done by recreational shooters?
1: For us, it's actually really good to see because we've always been strong advocates of the use of the camel for something sustainable and actually productive rather than pop and rot. The people that come and shoot on our property is a very small select team and they take the meat for either pet food or for human consumption under game collection regulations. So for us, it's actually a positive environmental process. And I don't wanna see these guys and girls who enjoy a bit of time out in the country and are doing their part for sustainability in the environment and using something that would otherwise be wasted impacted negatively.
2: Now, you do a lot of uh, camel control. They're the biggest or one of the biggest pests that you're facing where you are. But one of the things that you wanted to introduce was the ability to use something to suppress the sound that some of those firearms make. Why was that something that you wanted?
0: Back
1: a number of years ago when I was shooting hundreds of camels a day, you know, I was maxing out somewhere around 680 camels in a day, I was wearing two levels of hearing protection and due to the prolonged amount of shooting and periods of shooting that I was doing, I actually ended up with an ear infection. Now, that's because we weren't using suppressed firearms. And with suppressed firearms, they're not only good for the operator, for hearing protection being you know, good for uh, workplace safety, but it's also the livestock. We are uh, low stress environment here. And we want our livestock to have a nice and peaceful life without being harassed by feral animals or having to deal with loud gunshots. The ability to use suppressors would allow us to control larger numbers of feral animals with reduced disturbance.
2: And what was the feedback as to why that wouldn't be an option?
1: Uh, It's a threat to public safety.
2: When you look at the, the rationale that government has explained behind some of these changes, it is to enhance public safety and we've heard the police minister point to the amount of stolen firearms that is, is happening in WA on an ongoing basis. So do you accept that there needed to be some changes here to try and strengthen the security behind some of these firearms?
1: Oh absolutely, there's no doubt in my mind that we needed to change the firearms legislation in Western Australia, however I think that there's little that's going to occur in changing and restricting legal firearm owners than if we actually targeted the illegal firearms trade, the illegal firearms games and also if we focused our priorities more on things such as proper mental health and mental health checking on licensing.
2: Northern Goldfields pastoralist Jack Carmody with his thoughts on the WA government's overhaul of the firearm legislation. If these changes go through, it would make WA's laws the toughest in the country. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. The text number is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. A few coming in, I'll read some of them. Brett from Williams saying... I'm a recreational shooter, I have nine rifles, is the government going to buy back the four that I have, or that I will have to get rid of, sorry, in this new legislation? Also, current legislation allows storage cabinets to be a minimum of three millimetres in thickness, so all owners are now going to have to purchase new storage cabinets up to four to six millimetres in thickness in the new legislation. What a load of crap. Brett from Williams having his say on the text. And Bevan Steele has texted saying the Minister is trying to sell the issue of easier use for primary producers. However, primary producers already have numerous exemptions in the current Act for all of these applications. They are introducing more red tape. Bevan Steele having his say on the text line. The number for you to send a message with your thoughts on the overhaul of WA's firearms legislation, the number is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four, and a text from Dave in Busso. Are the current serving police officers having mental health checks while serving and carrying firearms? Sick of the fearmongering re firearm ownership. Start throwing the book at thieves. Uh, sorry, that text there from Black Duck. And Dave from Busso, I will get to your text shortly. 25 past 12, heading north now because there's been some concern in the Kimberley and Pilbara area about the potential impact of seismic testing and what that could do to the lucrative oyster Pearl populations. When oil and gas companies look under the sea for deposits, they use an air gun to produce loud, repetitive underwater sounds which penetrate the sea floor. So that raises a question. How does this affect species that live there, such as silver-lip pearl oysters? Research from the Australian Institute of Marine Science is trying to answer that question. In a study published on Friday, scientists found that a single seismic survey is unlikely to increase mortality among adults of the oyster species or impact pearl quality. Lead author and acoustic scientist Miles Parsons says the research was a world first.
9: The first time that someone's taken a dedicated seismic vessel, or been able to control the movements of the seismic vessel specifically, to be able to conduct such a large-scale experiment on um, mollusks, so it, it is an opportunity to really tease out what we what we were looking for. One of the things that I should actually explain is that we there, there are some caveats here in terms of the study that we did. We only looked at uh, adults of a single species, the species that is, is collected up in Broome. We weren't looking at the, the younger animals um, and we only looked at one seismic um, survey. So we don't know what, repeat ex- what effect repeated exposure might have.
1: Um, and how do you think this research could help the industry, especially if there is testing offshore um, for exploration-type activities Um, How could that help um, people in the pearling industry and those people carrying out those tests get an understanding of what what they're dealing with?
9: This provides a a good threshold at which we can be fairly certain there's not going to be an increase in mortality of the the pearl oysters if they're exposed to, to that level of sound. And that's something that can be used in terms of management of to where and when some of the surveys occur.
1: You're hoping that the results can guide um, any future testing. But Did it feel like there was a bit of an unknown there before as to where the threshold was?
9: Yeah, there's been concern certainly by the pearling industry because obviously the north-west shelf is fairly rich in oil and gas and there's a lot of exploration that goes on out there. So there's been concern particularly about pearl oysters as to whether or not there would be that... Um, detrimental impact to health and mortality and some of the other studies have been conducted on different species of mollusk and there has been an increase in mortality so say scallops that have been tested there's been an increase in mortality as a result of that exposure so this actually helps resolve or provide some confidence around the fact that it won't have a similar impact with the pearl oysters.
2: Australian Institute of Marine Science Research Uh, scientist Miles Parsons speaking to Ted O'Connor. And staying in the north, research labs at Kununurra's Frank Wise Institute of Tropical Agriculture are going to be upgraded thanks to a $2.5 million injection of funds from the state government. Agriculture Minister Jackie Jarvis hopes the upgrades will help the expansion of irrigated cropping and also benefit beef production across the Kimberley and Pilbara.
6: So these are to primarily support the irrigated agriculture, so whether that's fodder crops or mangoes, um, cotton, it's basically to provide the R&D support that industry needs. So having upgrade laboratories, and it also then attracts scientists, it allows industry to work together with deep herds, so we're really proud of this investment. And you just touched on before that there might be continued investments over the coming months and into next year that we can see here at the Frank Wise Institute. Can you talk me through some of those? Yeah, sure. So 2.5 million for labs now. We've already also spent another half a million for farm equipment. Um, and we're certainly working through with the Northern Australia CRC to actually look at what we can do to support the Northern beef industry up here. So we're working through um, some new projects. I'm still working through that with the CRC, but it's certainly my hope that we will see some um, more investment up here, some Commonwealth state partnerships to actually support the northern beef industry. So as I said, the labs today, pathology work around, you know, fodder crops,
2: irrigated agriculture, but there's obviously a lot of work happening up here as well for the
6: northern beef industry.
2: WA Agriculture Minister Jackie Jarvis speaking to Alice Marshall at the Kununurra Frank Wise Institute of Tropical Agriculture, getting a bit of an upgrade thanks to a $2.5 million injection of funds. It's 12.30. Let's head to the newsroom. Good afternoon, Jonathan Beale.
0: Hello, Joe. Doctors at hospitals in Gaza are ignoring evacuation calls from Israel, saying their patients would die. In response to Hamas's attacks into Israel ten days ago, Israel has responded with airstrikes and is now urging civilians in northern Gaza to leave as it prepares for a ground offensive. Hassan Abu Safia is a doctor on a children's ward at a northern Gaza hospital and says moving the children would be like handing them a death sentence. The federal government is planning an additional flight to repatriate Australian citizens in Israel but warns today's flight could be the last. The ABC has been ordered to pay damages to a retired Special Forces major who sued the broadcaster for defamation. Former commando Heston Russell has been awarded nearly $400,000 in damages in the federal court in Sydney. The retired Special Forces major sued the broadcaster and two of its investigative journalists over two stories. The judge found 10 defamatory imputations were conveyed in the stories and said he was not convinced the ABC had established a defence of public interest. And the Shooters Union has described as ridiculous the WA government's move to ban gun owners from having more than 10 firearms. Union President Graham Park says weapons used in crime are usually illegally owned and restricting the number of legally owned weapons won't help. More news, Joe at 1.
2: Jonathan, thank you. We have been talking about that overhaul of firearms legislation that the Police Minister, Paul Papalia, announced this morning. Text from Dave in Basso asking, "'Does this mean that members of the military and police forces "'will be subject to mental health checks? "'Some have questionable attitudes.'" And Jack has sent a text saying the police minister needs to remember that farmers in Australia are not the Taliban in Afghanistan. Some more of your texts coming through. Thank you for that. I will get to them shortly. If you'd like to have your say, though, the number is 0448 922 604. Just pop your name on that message. We'll head now to the Bureau. Bob Tarr is with us today. Bob, if we start in the South Land Division, what's the forecast looking like for the next few days?
10: Yeah, um, sure. So uh, I've heard that you're in um, Geraldton today, and I am. Uh, it was very
2: windy and awful this morning, Bob.
10: Yeah, you're uh, you're in luck because you can now say that you were in Geraldton for the hottest uh, October day on record. Uh, we oh. reached. Uh, a bit over 40 degrees today, so uh, what was it, 40.8, I believe, is the record, or the temperature that we've reached so far today. Um, we'll start to see a little bit of a sea breeze coming in and cooling things down, but yeah, very hot conditions uh, about the Midwest and right down the West Coast, uh, currently sitting about 34 to 35 in the Perth area, and we uh, bumping up pretty close to uh, October records for, for Perth, and even down into the southwest corner, uh, 31 or 32, and nan up in uh, Pemberton, 28. So very warm for this time of year, uh, right down to the south coast, uh, Walpole, 28 or 29 degrees. So. Uh, Yeah, pretty unusual temperatures, uh, 30 in Albany right now. So, uh, yeah, pretty unusual for this time of year to be getting those types of temperatures. But there is a pretty strong northerly flow and plenty of hot air across the northwest. So, that's just pushing right down the coast. It is um, a dry air mass, so there's no risk of uh, any. Uh, thunderstorms. Sometimes we get some high-based thunderstorms when there's a trough near the coast, but we don't really have any risk of that happening. Uh, the trough will start to move inland from the west coast during uh, tomorrow morning. So the immediate west coast will be uh, milder during tomorrow, but you won't have to go too far inland to get some very hot temperatures. Again, inland parts of the Midwest in the mid and high 30s, uh, and right through the wheat belt uh, into the High 30s and, and much of the Great Southern as well into the high 30s, even down to Bremer Bay 38 tomorrow, uh, Hoped in 38. So uh, we could see some October records fall through inland parts of the Southwest Land Division tomorrow. Uh, and then after that, we will see uh, certainly a big cool change as we go into uh, Wednesday, especially over um, the far southern areas. So uh, only about 19, uh, 18, 19 degrees for uh, Denmark, Albany, uh, that day, and, and certainly more cloud cover around. Uh, There's a weak front that is gonna basically wash out before it reaches the southwest corner, but. Um, There is going to be a a more moist onshore flow, so we could see uh, the odd shower or two about the um, Great Southern and the southwest corner on Wednesday and again on Thursday and then a slight chance on Friday before um, that largely clears away. Um, Won't be much in the gauge from that, maybe up to uh, a mil or two in the um, highest amounts, but a lot of places won't see too much rainfall uh, from that. Um, But it does look like we'll be pretty close to normal temperatures from uh, Wednesday right out to about uh, Friday, and then we 'll get another trough developed down the coast on Friday, uh, certainly not as hot as the current uh, trough that is bringing down those near record temperatures, but uh, we will be a few to several degrees above normal down the west coast and through inland parts on Saturday, and then uh, quite warm through eastern parts of the southwest land division on Sunday, uh, cooling off about the southwest quarter. The best chance for any sort of significant rainfall would be on. Sunday into Monday. It's not going to be especially significant, but uh, probably a bit more widespread across the southwest corner. We may get a cold front there on Sunday and Monday. That's not going to extend very far north, so likely to not see any rainfall uh, across the next seven days uh, through the Midwest and the Wheat belt, and probably uh, little to no rainfall through much of the Great Southern as well.
2: I think harvest is in full swing, Bob, so probably bringing good news there. But I don't know about the honour of having the hottest October day on record in Geraldton. am not sure about that one. <laughs> is it warm in the north as well?
10: Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Geraldton was not the only place that uh, broke a record today. We also had um, Shark Bay uh, broke an October record today. And um, for the second day in a row, actually, uh, Carnarvon, Uh, set an October record. Uh, Today it reached uh, almost 44 degrees, so 43.9, which is um, both the hottest uh, October day on record and also is the hottest, uh, is hotter than any day that there's been in November. So um, it's the hottest spring day uh, in Carnarvon today. Uh, The sea breeze is in, so it's uh, cooled off, if you want to say cooled off, to uh, 35 right now. For there, but yeah, very warm temperatures across the north. Uh, currently, uh, 42 at Marty Station, uh, and many inland parts through the Pilbara into the mid and high 30s right now. Uh, very warm across the uh, Kimberley as well. So 40 in Broome right now with uh, some offshore winds, uh, about 40 uh, to 41 in Derby. So. Uh, some very hot temperatures and being brought right to the coast with a pretty strong ridge of high pressure in place, so it's really pushing that very hot, very dry air right through coastal parts. Uh, there are some bushfires uh, up over northern areas, especially over the Kimberley, one pretty close to Bidjadanga, so I know there there are crews out there working on that one. Um, There's not going to be too much change in the pattern, especially over the northwest, where we're going to be a few to several degrees above normal uh, right into the weekend. Um, In the Kimberley, there is likely to be a little bit of an increase in shower and thunderstorm activity. Uh, There's really none right now. It's too dry, but... Uh, maybe Friday afternoon, but uh, more likely on Saturday and Sunday over far northern and northwestern parts of the region, uh, we will see uh, the chance of shower thunderstorm. Uh, out through the southeast of the state and the, in- the interior, uh, some Pretty gusty winds ahead of the uh, trough tomorrow across the goldfields. So it will be quite hot through that region. And then started starting to cool off from west to east as we go into Wednesday. And then uh, pretty much all areas uh, right through the Euclid will be cooler on Thursday. And then we'll start to repeat the process again. So likely to be quite warm by the time you get out to Sunday uh, across the goldfields.
2: Okay. Any warnings, Bob?
10: Uh, yeah. So we have a fire weather warning for the uh, Midwest coast. But that's our only uh, land warning for today, and no no warnings for tomorrow at this stage.
2: Thank you for that information and some of those temperature records. Interesting. Maybe we can put it that way. And not surprisingly, from 9 a.m. until uh, 9 a.m. Friday until 9 a.m. this morning, nowhere in WA recorded any rain.
0: ABC Radio, Harvest Ban Information.
11: Yeah, Joe, and uh, with it being the hottest October day on record for Geraldton, not surprising that in that part of the world there are actually a few harvest bans in place. So this is due to the risk of fire. A number of local authorities have put a harvest ban in place today, and that includes the ban of using any equipment that could potentially start a fire. So that's for the city of Greater Geraldton, including Mullawar, and also for the shire of Chapman Valley if you'd like more detailed information, including the zones, etc., and the lifting of harvest bans, you must get in contact with your local shire. Also, just a reminder, each shire has been notified, but this year the Country Hour is going to be the only program that broadcasts harvest and vehicle movement bans for regional shires. On the weekends, of course, it'll be same as usual, where the harvest ban notices will be read out at about the same time at 25 to 1 but uh, there'll no longer be the early morning or morning readouts of harvest bans that's because most farmers have told us they're actually getting their information from the shire direct either via text or whatsapp messages etc the deadlines for shires to make that call is quarter to 12 that's pretty strict as well you do have a fair bit of time in the morning just to make up that your mind uh, also, just due to the extreme fire danger today, there's a few total fire bans in place. And again, not surprising, this is for parts of the Midwest Gascoigne region. So the ban is for the shires of Chapman Valley, Greater Geraldton and Northampton. And again, just a reminder, during a total fire ban, you can't do anything that could potentially start a fire. That includes having outdoor fires or using solid fuel barbecues and you can't do any hot work, grinding, welding, gas cutting, those sorts of things. It's uh, your responsibility to check with your local government if there's a vehicle movement ban on as well. And uh, the affected map of uh, total fire bans is on Emergency WA, so just search Emergency WA, very easy to find. And if you want to know more about the do's and don'ts during a total fire ban, just go to the DFES site, in other words, D-F-E-S uh, also, finally, there is a bushfire watch and act in place for people in the Bidje community in Lagrange in the Shire of Broome. So the alert level for that fire was upgraded this morning as homes were potentially under threat. So there's still a possible threat to lives and homes as the fire's burning in the area and conditions are changing. If you need more information on that one, again, just do a search, emergency WA, all the latest information is there. And you can also call uh, Defus. Just uh, the number there is one three triple three seven. And also, I'd suggest just following Defus on Facebook. And of course, uh, if you're out of range as far as your internet connection goes, just make sure you listen to analog radio on ABC local radio.
2: Richard, thank you. Better turn my microphone on properly. Now I haven't spoken to you for a while, so don't go anywhere because I wanted to get your thoughts on Lockie Schultz going to Collingwood. Who? Oh,
11: he's dead to me. <laughs> Never did like you, him. Terrible uh, player. Can't useless. tackle.
2: Yeah. <laughs> You've moved on quickly. Thank you. <laughs> That was short and sweet uh, this afternoon. we have been uh, speaking about the state government 's overhaul of firearms legislation, and it will if it goes through. It'll mean WA will have some of the toughest rules for gun owners nationally. So a raft of changes coming. There'll be restrictions of uh, how many firearms you can own, five if you're a recreational shooter, 10 if you're a primary producer. But then also there's going to be changes to storage requirements. So some rules around how your firearms are stored and what they're stored in. Uh, and also some uh, health checks for firearm owners. Uh, There'll be like an online health check is my understanding there with a mental health component. More information on this is coming through tomorrow uh, and it'll be introduced to Parliament shortly. I've been asking for your thoughts on some of these changes, what it means for you, what your thoughts are on this reform. Did we need it? Does it go far enough? Does it go too far? The text number, 0448 Ross from Walpole has sent a text through saying, why does anybody other than farmers and professional shooters need 10 guns? Ross having his thoughts on the text line, you can do so as well. That number again, 0448 17 to 1. A perennial wheat could soon be available by the end of the decade. Now, unlike the annual wheat that you're used to, perennial wheat doesn't have to be planted every year and it could also have some additional grazing benefits. Dr Richard Hayes is a senior research scientist at the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Karen Hunt asked him how many crops could potentially be harvested from perennial wheat
8: well, that's an excellent question, and we don't know the answer to that because it, we haven't developed it yet. But think of it more like a perennial grass crop. If you're harvesting a perennial grass crop for seed, you might get something like six years out of it. If we could achieve that with our perennial wheat, that would be a pretty good outcome. We'd be looking for that kind of longevity if, if we could get it. In reality, I think the earlier generation type crops will probably be a little bit shorter live, so maybe two, three, four years, because it will take time to develop material that's suitably adapted, particularly to some of the harsh environments that Australia can offer it.
3: Where is the research for an Australian variety of perennial wheat? Where is that at, at present? So we
8: have been doing this research mostly out of the Cowra Research Station in New South Wales. Uh, And most of our research program has focused on evaluating material from overseas. Some of it, was material that was developed in conventional wheat breeding programs and then there's other material that has been developed specifically as a perennial crop so this is stuff that's mainly come out of the US. Our program was was more or less about getting as much of that material as we could looking at it in an Australian environment uh, and seeing how it went.
3: How far away do you think you are from getting something that would be adapted to Australian conditions? Well
8: we always said that 2030 we could have something and i still think that we could have something in that timeline if you know we put a concerted effort towards it
3: well assuming that you do get there and you get a commercially available variety what would be the advantage for anybody planting this rather than an annual crop the whole
8: push behind perennial agriculture is is around what you'd call environmental sustainability we're trying to reduce the disturbance in the agricultural landscape because it's during those periods of disturbance that soil is most vulnerable. So it's vulnerable to erosion, it's vulnerable to to greenhouse gas emissions and it's just not productive. The perennial vision is to have crops that stay in place year round. And again, it's not very hard, I don't think, for Australian farmers to imagine it because we do rely pretty heavily in many environments on perennial plants for forages, species such as Lucin or Thalaris. So if you just imagine those types of species, but which you harvested seed off, which could be used for food production, that's really what perennial crops are about.
2: Dr. Richard Hayes from the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Speaking with Karen Hunt and just briefly in other grains news, Pulse Australia and Grains Australia have merged with the core operations of Pulse Australia to now sit within Grains Australia. So Grains Australia will take responsibility for Pulse technical functions associated with the trade and market access, Pulse varietal classifications and market insights and education on behalf of the Australian Pulse Industry. And Grains Australia has already formed a Pulse Council to provide strategic advice to the Grains Australia Board on Pulse Industry matters.
1: On ABC Radio WA, you're with Joe Prendergast for the WA Country Hour.
2: Nice to have you tuned in on a Monday afternoon. If you're thinking about recommending fly-in, fly-out work to your kids... You might be interested in this latest initiative that's just been launched. It's called FIFO Insider, a national benchmark for FIFO camps. Creating firm, a consulting firm, Creating Communities is undertaking the FIFO Village Study. Director of Engagement Andrew Watt hopes it will eventually benefit all workers and companies.
12: While we've done work for different companies and different organisations, there's no real standard or benchmark and we're trying to get an understanding of what that might be so that we can actually provide that information to companies, to organisations who plan around FIFO villages in particular and how they might be able to better meet the needs and aspirations of their their workforce and people who are doing FIFO life. We know that communities continue to evolve and so do FIFO communities. So we're really trying to get a, a greater in-depth understanding of
6: that. So how are we going to do that?
12: Well, we've got, at the moment, we're going to, we've are going we got a, a survey out there, which is going to create a national benchmark in relation to, to FIFO villages. So that's out now. So people can find that actually on, on FIFO Insider via social media, be that, that Instagram or Facebook. We're also going to move into doing more research about FIFO families as the next step going forward. We've done other research in that area, but we find that, you know, the more that we can gather, the better we can actually respond to those needs and aspirations of the workers and reflect that in how we advocate to the companies and others who are providing the services to them, including village operators who operate the villages on behalf of the resource companies.
6: Creating a benchmark. So if somebody, for instance, was looking to to move into the industry or move uh, from one part of the industry to another, would it be available for them to make sort of informed decisions or would this be kept in-house for, for companies?
12: So we're going to produce some reports that are publicly available. So a range of information about the trends that we're seeing if we engage with a company, we'll be able to do that more specifically with them and drill down to their company and to their villages, um, for example. But we're also keen to share this information more broadly so that everyone in the community benefits from it. Um, and that will come out in a range of um, reports going forward. But the, the intent is really to build the collective knowledge about FIFO and transient workforce so that collectively we can all work together to improve the lives of those who, who are undertaking that work practice.
6: Because we do hear a lot about the mental health of, of FIfo workers and, and the families that they are away from for six eight depending on on your swing uh, months at a time yep. is is this sort of one way that you're hoping you you can improve that that mental health
12: absolutely um, it's it's a key aspect of what we're focusing on and we do know that um, obviously mental health is a key issue within the sector we also know that those who have really planned out their FIfo life and actually have a have a good schedule and what they do with their family and how they manage that transition between you know FIFO and coming home is really important but the more we can build out that knowledge and particularly one of the key aspects of what we're looking at is understanding the different demographics within within FIFO communities. So historically FIFO villages for example used to be many years ago single persons quarters with a sort of worker then they became a camp now they become a village with a sort of um, the, the notion is about a guest experience. Our view is that If you're living in a FIFO village, quite often for more than half your life, you're you're not a guest, you're actually a resident. And we need to understand those different needs of those residents. And it might be if you're a new FIFO worker, it might be males and females, people from different cultures, they all have different needs, they'll have different um, aspirations about what they want in their life. And our aim is to be able to understand the differences between those cohorts and be able to reflect that and communicate to those who are actually um, involved in the industry.
2: Creating Communities Director of Engagement Andrew Watt speaking to Tara DeLandgraft and some of the data from those FIFO Village surveys will be out early next year. Well, a southwest brewery is trying to recycle one of its major waste products into a tasty bread flour. I'm talking about Brewers Mash. Spinifex Brewing Company Director John Gibbs hopes one day this waste could actually be worth some money.
3: So spent mash is it's a volatile product. It's warm and wet and full of sugar. So it, it tends to go off really quickly. Uh, however, it is also full of some really important nutrients. So the project is to try and work up a process where we can, we can process the grain on site to dry it that can then allow it to be used as a supplement for baking Etc. It's, it, it's often now used just as, as um, feed for stock, which is fine. Um, but it's a problem for brewers in that it's a, um, it's a by-product. There's a lot of it. And it, it takes some time to get rid of. It's a nuisance. Um, I don't want it to be a by-product. I want it to be a product. So we make great beer. That's great. But we also want to make something out of the majority of the waste. So and and it not be waste anymore. So it has a it, it should be hopefully, a value add for a business.
7: And it's really it can be really good
5: for you. Is that right? It's got it's got good benefits. This waste product.
3: I believe uh, from the from the research that we're doing uh, and how working with Murdoch University down here at Fipwa, in that the it has benefits for, cholesterol reduction. Blood sugar reduction. I believe it may have some um, benefits for heart health. It certainly has a lot of fibre, so it's got a lot of good fibre for anyone consuming it. Um, I think there may be some other benefits as well, but I don't think there's any negatives.
5: As a business, you know, in 2023, where a lot of discussion is around waste and, and being sustainable, and, you know, having the start of this pilot project underway and possibly having somewhere for this this waste mash as part of your production. How exciting is that?
3: It's part of the ethos of this space. I mean, the other one of the things we're looking at doing is also trying to figure out a way of utilising some of our spent water that comes off prior to chemical ingress so we can use that possibly to feed algae ponds. So that's another opportunity. So it's all about... We don't even want to throw the smell away. They're valuable products. Uh, these days you have to be considered when it comes to waste. I suppose for a point of view of um, a couple of old guys who started this business, we've got this whole idea of legacy, which is, you know, what is it? Old men planting trees under which shade they shall never sit. So that's, that's the idea. Leave the place better than it was when we got here.
2: Spinifex Brewing Director John Gibbs speaking to Ellie Honeybone about a project that turns spent brewer's mash... Into a baking supplement. That research is being done at the New Food Innovation Precinct of WA, which is near Pinjarra, and a Murdoch Uni research team is also helping the company with that project. Hello, I'm Annie Guest. Join me for The World Today. More than two million Gazans struggling
6: for food, water, and safety while worse may be yet to come. The fallout from the referendum, what does it mean for Aboriginal disadvantage, reconciliation and future referenda? And efforts to make children safer online
2: with a penalty for social media carrying pornographic material. Those stories and more coming up on The World Today. 1,642 head of cattle sold at Muche today. So about... 330 head up on last week. Terry Birkin has been there. Terry, can you run through the details, please?
13: Sale so numbers increased today with the usual lineup of pastoral cattle while local weeders and yearlings became more prominent along with some lines of older cattle with weight and finish. Local cars with good cover gained 10 cents this week with competition from live shipping, but buyers are showing little interest in store cattle across all categories. Grown steers and heifers as well as cows remained at recent pricing, while slaughter balls softened 20 to 25 cents a kilo. Local Villa steers lacking cover sold from 140 to 252 cents and with better condition realized 320 cents a kilo. While the heifers lacking cover ranged from 70 to 144 cents and in better condition up to 286 cents a kilo. Local Yealing Steers started at 182 cents up to 308 cents for finished types and Yealing Heifers returned 124 up to 262 cents a kilo. Partial steers with no weight and condition ranged from 50 cents to 150 cents, but with better cover returned 170 up to 274 cents a kilo, while heifers started at 50 cents, ranging up to 158 cents a kilo. Grown steers made 128 to 178 cents, while grown heifers returned 160 to 174 cents a kilo. Store cows sold from 34 to 100 cents, while medium to heavy cows were selling from 120 up to 168 cents light stall bulls were struggling to gain interest, but bulls suited to live shipping were firm, selling to a top of 268 cents, while slaughter bulls were back 20 to 25 cents, selling from 120 to 164 cents a kilo. This is Terry Birkin for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service.
2: Terry, thank you. Just running through the details of the Moucher sale today. And at that sale, a steer was donated by Yala Wheeler Station. It weighed 872 kilos and it was bought by Borello Beef for 350 cents a kilo. The proceeds from that sale will go to help research juvenile type 1 diabetes. Good on you, Yala Wheeler crew. Uh, A fairly solid donation for that beast there. Lots of your texts coming through on this review, uh, this reform of firearms legislation. I will try and get to as many of them as I can. Uh, Text in from Barry saying, instead of penalising the honest law-abiding gun owners, give the thieves that are stealing the firearms a bigger jail sentence. Neil says, so not one firearm taken from criminals in these draconian laws. Again, law-abiding citizens are treated like criminals. That text there from Neil and another text if they want to make it compulsory to give someone a mental health check to own firearms, the same should go to a driver's license. Uh, there are many more people killed by cars with all the half wits driving on the road. That text there from Co old Turkey. Thank you for that. Most farmers don't have the time or experience for vermin control. Most farmers rely heavily on professional kangaroo shooters to do this work for them. And yet the proposed changes haven't given the professional kangaroo shooters any consideration whatsoever. Looks like the kangaroo and fox problem is about to get worse. David having his say there. Ron sent a short and sweet text. He says, G'day, I am so looking forward to the next election. Thank you for that text, Ron. Ron. Here we go again. How many crimes involving guns have been caused by farmers? We're feeding all these new law-breaking dropkicks. How about leave farmers out of this? Agricultural producers should be exempt from any further gun laws. That text there from Matthew. Just going through some of your messages this afternoon in response to the state government's new firearm legislation, which is likely to go through parliament next year. Uh, Heidi has sent a text in, The firearm legislation review is a good idea, but what government has proposed does not increase public safety. Illegal firearms are not targeted in this proposal. This proposal only targets legitimate firearm owners, which is unfair. The proposed limits are also unfair for firearm owners. What is the difference between five or 15 They are all vetted for a genuine reason and need. You can only use one firearm at a time anyway. That text there from Heidi. And many more of your texts coming through this afternoon. I'm sorry, I will not get to all of them, but thank you very much for sending them through. And I will catch you again tomorrow. You can keep listening to ABC, though, particularly if you're in that fire area in the north of the state for any updates. Enjoy your afternoon. It's news time now, one o'clock.